Welcome along to this week's uh, Know My Faith Monday podcast, and my guest is uh, Ian Warby, who is the CEO of United Christian Broadcasters Asia Pacific. Is that right, Ian? That's correct. Yeah, lovely to be with you. Yeah, nice to see you again. Uh, Ian and I kind of worked together in the years that I was with Rima, um, which finished about 10 years ago, and you continued on. So actually, you've got tell me about vision, because you've got vision on your, uh, on your shirt there. What is vision? So uh, in Australia, we started out as being a sister organisation to REMA, but under the United Christian Broadcasters banner. So uh, uh, REMA and their, their leadership started planting Christian media initiatives all around the world. And so back in the mid-90s, I got involved in starting uh, a REMA FM in Port Macquarie on the mid-north coast of New South Wales in Australia. And oh, I went there. It's still going on air, 99.9, yes. Uh, and then um, I guess I really caught the vision in a bad way. And so my wife and I relocated from beautiful Port Macquarie where we were operating a river cruise uh, business and doing the radio. Uh, and we moved to, to Brisbane. And from there, we got this vision to have a national Christian broadcast in a similar fashion to what Rima has had now for nearly 30 years. So you you were kind of you were like Port Macquarie's version of Steamboat Willie, is that right? Something like that. Yes, I was I was I was a uh, a tourist uh, river cruise operator, and wow. my wife my wife did all the hard work. I just got to steer the boat and yeah. tell lots of interesting stories to the passengers. Uh, I reckon I had the best job in the world, chasing Pacific bottlenose dolphins and fishing and having a great old time. But then um, the Lord uh, threw how short the uh, the founder or one of the founders of Rima uh, called me. I was used to do the brekkie show in the morning and then race down to the jetty to catch the boat. Yep. And um, he gave me a call and said, uh, we've been watching you and your wife, Mandy. Uh, we've got this idea of launching a national radio network, but we're going to do it out of Brisbane. Would you like to sell up and move up there? So I, I moved up and became the CEO to UCB Australia. And um, the life verse that I used at the time was from Habakkuk 2.2, which was to write the vision down and yep. make it plain. And they, the vision would take a while to be patient and wait for it, and it would surely come. Well, here we are 22 years later. <laughs> yep. We have 730-plus vision Christian radio outlets across the nation. Now, you and do that via satellite, don't you? We do that off the satellite. So, again, we, we pretty much copied everything that you guys did because yeah, uh, yeah. you were the first broadcaster I think in New Zealand to go off, off the off the satellite that's right and then um, about 11 12 years ago we changed the name of the organization to vision uh, it was, was vision FM and then we got am radio so then that didn't seem to work so then yeah. we became vision Christian media and about seven years ago, um, I moved sideways. One of our managers, uh, Phil Edwards, has continued on as the CEO of Vision, doing a great job. Uh, I'm still on the board, yep. but I'm now planting Christian media initiatives all around the Asia-Pacific region, um, and I'm now serving as the chairman of United Christian Broadcasters International. All right. That's a number of hats, Ian. It's a number of hats. It can get a bit confusing sometimes. My colleague Grant Kennedy says, "When I when I say we, he doesn't know which we I'm always talking about." <laughs> You're mentioning names of people that I worked with for years yeah. at Rima in New Zealand. Yeah. Um, so let's let's do a transition. United Christian Broadcasters International. We've got stations in uh, in Great Britain, in Europe, in America, in Africa. And they get together every now and again for the international board meetings, one of which was held in Israel. Tell me about that one. That's right. Every year we always would meet in one of the different continents to talk about what God is doing and to pray for the future. And then in 2007, we were in Johannesburg in South Africa. And Dr. Rolf Peterson said, you know, the Holy Land is part of Africa. And so he said, <laughs> next year in Jerusalem. And so we agreed that that's where we were going to have yep. our next international gathering. And when I heard it, I, I had mixed feelings. I was both excited because I, I'd never been to the land and I wanted to walk where Jesus walked. Yep. But you know, my only reference point about 
Israel was that it was a war zone. And so I was genuinely concerned about would it be safe to go there? And so when we arrived in 2008, within 24 hours of being there, we realized it was an incredible place. And um, I started asking Dr. Peterson, how do you organize these tours? And then a year later, or two years later, in 2010, we launched our very first tour. Um, you can see the photo over my shoulder there. Yep. With our first group, 65 people, two busloads. And we've been doing it every, every year since. And it's just been an amazing extension of connecting faith to life, which is our positioning statement for Vision Christian uh, Media. Okay. And so to take people to the land of the Bible and to literally walk them through the pages and to stand in the, the very locations where some very familiar stories being told is just life-changing. So go back, uh, and it's 12 years at least for you. For the, Well, 12 years ago was the UCB conference there in Israel. Go back before that, if you can. What was Ian Warby's attitude towards Israel, towards Jewish people, towards um, what we call the the historical cultural roots of our faith. Can you remember that far back? Yes. Well, well sadly, I, I, like a lot of Western Christians, had a, a very distorted view. I remember um, my Pentecostal pastor would help us when we were reading the scriptures. He said, now, look, every time you read the word Israel, in your mind, just insert the word church. Oh, my goodness. Because, because you know, um, you know, because it was the the people of Israel and their descendants who ultimately crucified Jesus, they rejected uh, the message that God sent them. And so God had to come up with plan B, which to raise up a new people, a new body called the church. And so whilst I didn't have a hatred uh, against Jewish people, I'd never knowingly even met a a Jewish person. And and sadly, I grew up as a typical Aussie schoolboy. We tell very anti-Semitic jokes and and fun and light heart of the Jews. Um, But again, it didn't take me very long until I landed in, in that land that the Holy Spirit started doing a real number on me. And, um, do you remember the first, the first thing he did to you? Do you you, was there a, was there in, I want you to look at this. Yeah, well, we, we, we arrived in Tel Aviv and then we went down to uh, the 4,000-year seaport of Joppa. Yep. Um, and apart from, obviously, I knew the story of Jonah and the whale, it was also the New Testament story of how um, Peter uh, raised uh, Dorcas from the, from the dead. Yep. And also he was having a little uh, siesta up on top of the rooftop uh, when the Lord lowered down those sheets. And I'd always thought that that was God um, instituting the, the kosher food laws for why Jews don't eat pork and so on. Yeah. But in reality, I now have discovered that it was God saying, don't call that unclean, which I've called clean. And then next minute, there's a knock on the door and three Gentiles uh, turn up and the servant says they're, they're looking for you. Yeah. And he ends up going um, about 40 miles up the coast to Caesarea to a God-fearing uh, Roman centurion who wanted to know, know more about the gospel. And then the Holy Spirit hit him and his family and they had that sign. And it was about that time I thought, there's a lot to this story that I don't really know. <laughs> As having been a Christian for how long? Yeah. All my known life. See, I mean, I, I first gave my life to the Lord Jesus when I was about 11. Yeah. And so I had to unlearn a whole lot of stuff. And I, I actually came away telling people that I felt that I was born again, again. Yeah. Um, I've been to the land, been privileged to go back many times. Actually, uh, this year we hope to be doing our 21st uh, tour. But I, I, I've often heard it said that the fifth gospel is actually the land of Israel. Yeah. And I think it's so important for us to understand the connection of the land. A, a lot of theologians try to dismiss it and say it doesn't really matter. All we need to do is believe in Jesus and so on. Well, yes, that's true to a point. But we also have to understand that God is a covenant-keeping God. And when he made his promises many times to Abraham and to Isaac and to Jacob, and then he reaffirmed it with David, that this was an everlasting covenant and that there would be consequences for those nations that tried to divide his land. Yeah. 
yeah. My ears were standing to attention, and I thought it's, it's, it's the land is the thing, isn't it? It's it so really is. Miss that. Yeah. So you know, I often say we're going to go to the place where we know the people, but we have no idea of the places. Yeah. Yeah, I remember we were th- when we were there, and I'm trying to remember his name, um, a Kiwi tour guide who does tours in Israel. You might be able to help me out. It's, he, he's English, his wife's Kiwi. Um, but I said to him, I said, you know, you do a lot of evangelical tours. You know, a lot, a lot of good, well-meaning Christians. They love, you know, all that. I says, and they still don't get it, do they? And he no. just shakes his head. He goes, no. I said, what is it? What you know, with all the tours that you've done, what yeah. is it that? is the key to them getting it. And he goes, when they realize that the land is God's yeah, and the lights come on, they go, ah, I didn't see that before. Yeah. The, 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 the other aha moment I had was when we went to Jerusalem and we're standing up on the Mount of Olives and then we walk down what's um, traditionally called the Palm Sunday Walk where Yeshua, and that's another thing. I, I, I always thought that Jesus' name was Jesus, which is nothing yeah. wrong with calling him Jesus. Um, and I, like a lot of people, thought that, you know, he was the son of, of Mr. and Mrs. Christ, yep. um, you know, Joseph and Mary, and didn't realize that it was um, uh, Yosef and Miriam. Uh, we anglicize all the yeah, everything the major characters and so and literally i found out that the word yeshua literally means salvation and so then when you read the gospels when the angel tells mary and you will call him jesus or yeshua for he will save his people literally it means you that's that's what you are naming him you'll so call him salvation yeah absolutely yep. and so um, we were standing, and you, sorry, and you got that walking down the Mount of Olives. Coming down there, yes, and yep. we were standing uh, under the, uh, uh, the the church of um, where Jesus wept over Jerusalem. Yeah, and and then I realised um, because at this time I stage I'd also become a, a bit of a student of Dr. Chuck Missler, who's also really opened our our understanding of the Hebra- the Hebraic. Um, understanding of the scriptures yeah. and realized that for every prophecy about the coming of Messiah, that there is eight more about his second advent. And when you stand up there on that ridge line and you look across the Kidron Valley and you realize that when Jesus is coming back, I mean, every Christian, that's the blessed hope that Jesus is going to come back and yeah. fix this world up because we know that it's a mess. But he's not coming back to Brisbane or to Auckland or to Rome. He's coming back and his feet are going to touch down on that same mountain, on the Mount of Olives. And there's going to be a great earthquake and that mountain's going to split in two and uh, water's going to come welling up under that Temple Mount, um, out through that eastern gate, which has been sealed, that no one can enter in. And it's going to flow down into the Dead Sea, which we went to later, where not even bacteria grows today. And yet the Bible says that fishermen are going to cast their nets outside of Engedi, which today is a desert wilderness area. And yet they're going to be catching all kinds of fish. So so many miracles um, and prophecies are yet to be fulfilled. So... Okay, so, yeah, look, I, I knew you. Yeah, I knew you in the in the UCB days. So I, I mean, I finished with Rima in 2010. So you started, I think, with Port Macquarie. What 1990 something? 1994. 94. So that was around the time that I moved to Auckland with Rima. So I mean, we've known each other for that long. Yeah. Were you this fired up as a Christian no. before then? Before no. the Israel? No. Look, the thing is. You, you get a, you get a, a deeper understanding, a deeper revelation, and, and it really starts to answer the so what question. Um, a lot of people say, you know, well, what are some of the things that you learn? Like one of the familiar stories that we grew up in Sunday school was where Jesus walked on the water. And so when I go to, up to the Galilee, we often include in our itinerary, a morning hike up to this big bluff cliff face called Mount Arbel. It's a very prominent, iconic, it's one of the highest, uh, you know, mountaintops right next to the the Sea of Galilee. And I read the scriptures about how when Jesus 
after he'd fed the 5,000, word got back to him that his cousin, John the baptizer, had been beheaded. And then the scripture says that he dismissed the crowd and he told his disciples, you go across to the other side. I'm going to go up to this hilltop and I'm going to pray. And then as they were rowing across um, this storm, this supernatural storm came and Jesus saw them. And then the next minute he's out there walking on the water and they were afraid. And he said, don't be afraid, it's me. Yeah. He got into the boat and he calmed the storm and he immediately got to the other side. So we just read those words and think, okay, that's a nice story. It's, it's great. But when you have a Hebrew guide that tells you this term, the other side, is a lot more than just the ge geographical opposite from being in Capernaum and going over to the Gentile side of the lake. Yeah. This is where the other people who worship the other gods and they eat the other thing. I mean, in a Jewish mind, they don't even say the word pig. Yeah. He eats the other thing. The other thing. And so to get this understanding about what Jesus was doing, he was turning even these devout zealots who were zealous for God's word. There was a, there was a pocket of very zealous people still living up in the Galilee, and they, they had an expectation. They were waiting for Messiah. Yeah. Uh, one of his disciples that he picked up along the way is Simon the Zealot. And That's he right. most likely was hiding up in Mount Arbel where there was a lot of caves and the Romans went up there and used to push them off the side of the mountain. And so these disciples, even though they were hardy fishermen, they'd all been raised on Torah. They understood the scriptures and they knew that the Holy One, the Messiah, the one who was going to do greater works than Moses was going to come. And then the next minute they realized when he calmed the storm, they knew the Psalms that said yeah. that this person who could walk on the water and speak to the sea and calm the storm, they knew the scriptures. Um, and often we think as Christians, as Western Christians, looking through our religion through the stained glass windows of our churches, we we just don't get it. Um, no. And so we've got to go back and, you know, we've got to reread um the scriptures with new eyes and, yeah, so, understanding and a new heart and zeal for, for the scriptures. So what you're saying is, is although if we use the, the terminology, let, let's say the disciples as the church, if you will, <laughs> um, and they've got all their religion and everything, but Jesus is still opening their eyes to yeah. more and more things. Uh, yeah. I use, uh, when I'm doing presentations sometimes, I don't know, did you know Peter Jackson's done a uh, movie on World War II? Uh, sorry, World War I. Uh, yeah. It's called, yeah, so called Lest We Forget. So what, he, yeah. what happened was he got all the movies, all the old black and white jerky yeah. movies from the British archives, yeah. and he's put them through those wonderful uh, processes they have at Weta Studios. He slowed them down. He's put color to it. He even went and... Um, uh, he's, you know, he's looking. There, he gets forensic lip readers. Yeah, and they they're watching this, and they, they go, "Well, that guy over there, he just said, I think we can beat those Jerry's." Yeah, and so Peter Jackson goes, "Well, where's he from? Well, he's from, the, yeah, that's the Northumberland Rifles. Well, get me a voice actor from Northumberland." And he's yeah. done it. So I use this in the presentation, and we go from the black and white jerky silent. Yeah. into the full color with sound. And I said, that's what, to me, that's what it's like when you understand that the, the, the background, the, the, the Jewishness of our faith, it just go, ah, I yeah. never saw that before. Yeah. Well, my, my wife, Mandy, is also a presenter on Vision, and she's been um, presenting uh, for nearly 20 years now. And she does a daily program. She's in her second year. It's called Foundations, uh, Understanding the Hebraic Roots of the Christian Faith. And she often talks about this uh, rabbinical idea, of, they call it threading pearls, where you pick up little nuggets, precious nuggets within the scripture, and then you thread them yep. like this nice necklace. Uh, and when you put them all together, all of a sudden you get a whole new picture uh, for me, it was like when I went to Sunday school, my understanding of the Holy Land was those flannel graph pictures that they used to put up in school. <laughs> yep. To stand on the seashore 
of of the Sea of Galilee, and even just to realise that it's not a sea; it's really a lake. Yep. And when you see like uh, uh, the mountains, we would call them hills. And when you see the the mighty Jordan River, it's a creek. <laughs> but everything yeah. in the Holy Land gets upgraded. <laughs> yeah. Yep. And I tell you what, it really gets into your, it gets under your skin. And um, uh, we were there uh, last year in in March, and then just as we were leaving uh, with this COVID wave, we just uh, escaped. But I tell you what, I'm having serious withdrawals. Yep. Um, I love going there every year. It's my absolute joy to take people there. And when they come back, they often say, Ian, you, we, we just thought it was just the usual blurb in the brochure, you know, that, um, oh, it's going to be life-changing and, and so on. But they said, you, you, you've turned our world upside down. And, um, and they, they go back and they said, we're reading the Bible in a whole new light with a whole new understanding. And it really does affect you in a, in a really um, profound way. Yeah, it's discovering Jesus in a different way. And I'll use the word Jesus as opposed to Yeshua because most yeah. Christians use that. I yeah. don't think he has a problem with that. Yeah. But it's discovering the biblical Jesus in the setting where he is. Um, yeah. I listened to an audio book recently. It was set in uh, in Sydney in the early days with, in fact, the first convict ship that came over. And the uh, astronomer meteorologist there uh, got together with the local Aborigine and began to learn their ways and understand their language and things like that. Uh, so much greater understanding. And even for me, just listening to the book, I got a greater understanding of the Aboriginal people from that. And if, if we just if we just keep our Western, uh, Western church Jesus, we don't, we don't see him in everything that he is. Yeah. I mean, we often talk about context, you know, and if you take uh, the context out of the text, you just left with a con. Yeah. Um, and so it's so important. And uh, I, I did a, a little video um, vignette, a story about um, how do we know that Jesus really is the Messiah? Now, as a Western Christian, we'd say, well, you know, because the Bible says he was and so on. But, but how do you really know that he was yeah. the Messiah? Lots of people claim to be the Messiah. And so when, when we're in Nazareth and we go up to the Mount of Precipice, um, where after Jesus read um, that famous um, text out of Isaiah, that the spirit of the Lord is upon me uh, to open the blind eyes and to heal the sick and to set those who uh, are captive free and so on. And then he... Closed the scroll and he put it yep. down and he said, these words have been fulfilled in your hearing. And then they all got upset and they wanted to run him out of town and as a heretic and throw him off the cliff because he also mentioned that um, a lot of the miracles that happened happened to Gentiles. Uh, and, uh, and then the next verse, as you read that in the scripture, says, and then he went down to his own town of Capernaum, Capernaum. Yeah, his own town. It says so that it would be fulfilled what the prophet Isaiah said in uh, chapter nine. It says where the people were sitting in darkness, yep. but a great light had come in the land of, of Zebulun and Naphtali, Naphtali yeah. Maris, which is the main international route, which cuts across past Capernaum on the in the Galilee of the Gentiles. And so here, Yeshua, Jesus has set up his headquarters for three years in this city to fulfill specific prophecies. Yeah. And so, because Nazareth is in the land of Zebulun yeah. and, and Capernaum is in the land of Naphtali. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. yeah. But it was on the, the Via Maris. And, and so uh, one of his uh, disciples uh, was Levi or Matthew, who wrote one of the Gospels. And so we know it was a very busy um, place, a lot of trade there because you had a tax collector there. You also had a centurion. Well, a centurion's got to look after at least 100 men, a garrison That's of right. 100 men. Uh, and so we know it was a very busy thoroughfare. There was also a synagogue in the area. Uh, and so, again, when you go to places and you can actually go to the ruins, yeah. of Capernaum and stand there and you can read these stories and you can read what happened in the synagogue, which is 
still standing over the original foundation today. And all of a sudden, everything starts coming into... Yeah, you're remembering back. I can see yeah. it in your eyes. You're just going, yeah. ah, I remember this. It was so great. Yeah. It's just, yeah. a, just a, an amazing thing. And to me, it gives me more vitality in wanting to share the gospel, that, that Jesus Christ came according to the scriptures. According to the scriptures. That's what Paul said in, in 1 Corinthians um, yep. 15, and that he died according to the scriptures, and that he rose again according to the scripture. Yeah. <laughs> and so, you know, that's the gospel. Yeah. You know, that, that this holy one of God came and that when we start to search the scriptures with these fresh eyes, we see glimpses of him as we go through the scarlet thread, starting in Genesis from the very fall when God prophesied that out of the seed of the woman would come one whose heel would bruise the head of the serpent. Yeah, yeah. And then... You've got millennia where Satan's trying to lay down a minefield to try to prevent some chosen person from coming up. And that's why he tries to take out Moses um, hidden in the bulrushes and, uh, and and many other instances where... And all the way through. Yeah, where, where, so, where the enemies against God are trying to thwart God's plans. But we read in Psalm 2 that God sits in the heavens and he laughs. Yeah. He laughs at, God's, uh, at man's vain attempt to try to... To bring order to this world, only even, even laughs at Satan's attempts to, to prevent yeah. him from doing what you know. Um, again, if I can say it, I think the Holy Spirit's done a Peter Jackson on you. You've had the, the lights and the color and sound and everything has come on. What do you find when you're talking to people? There, there are still some people that just don't get it. You know, you, you try and explain, and I'm not talking about non Christians here, I'm talking about Christian oh, believers. No. Look, it often says that sacred cows make the best barbecues. And I tell you, we've had, some, we've had some very awkward moments because when you've got somebody standing on the location and they're seeing the hard evidence, the archaeological evidence, when they've got a local Jewish-speaking uh, tour guide who yep. probably knows the scriptures better than a, a senior pastor, can quote chapter and verse, and put it and start pulling these pearls together, you see the conflict that's going on. And then people go home and sometimes they're upset, they're irritated. They think, why was I not told? How come there's all these things that are, are, are now clear to me yeah. that was never preached from the pulpit in my church? Why is that? And, and some people go home slightly ticked off, thinking, yeah. I've, I've been sold a furphy. Yeah. Why has nobody told me this? Yeah. yeah, yeah. And some of them will argue. Some of them say, no, no, no. You, you, and you can see that they're having a crisis of unbelief because it confronts them. And, and, and It's kind of hard for us because, um, and and um, who was it I was talking to the other day? Zohar Gonen, who is a, uh, a Jewish teacher here. He lives in New Zealand now. Um, yeah. And I said, why is it that, uh, you know, we use the terms messianic, believers and uh jewish roots and all that and you mentioned those in the church today and it's like uh, you know people the hackles come up and i said why is it that we that we so much overbalance when we when this understanding the lights come on and he said it's because we've had or because you've had you know you gentiles have had two thousand years of nothing to do with the the jewish foundation of our faith and yeah. so when you understand it, we tend to overbalance somewhat. And I think that's what happens is people get uh, Gentiles start getting uh, prayer shawls and yamokas and, and, and getting out the snipper knives, you know, yeah. um, thinking that that's going to enhance our faith and enhance our walk. Um, Have you found that? Yeah, it, it does happen. And, and, and Mandy and I will often tell people, look, by all means, get your prayer shawl, get your, you know, your, your chauffeur. Um, and so on, you know. I mean, they're yep. lovely mementos to bring home. But then we remind them what Paul um, gave a warning to the predominantly Gentile church, and that was uh, against the Judaizers. You know, Paul says, if you're a Gentile, be a good Gentile. If you're yeah. a Jew, then be a good Jew. And so I think it's important for us Gentile believers to do our homework, to do our research, to have an appreciation of the culture and understand the traditions and so on. But but recognize this, those 
those traditions and a lot of those promises was made between God and his people. Uh, and, you know, there's really only one place in the whole of the world that you can keep all of those things, and that's in the land of Israel. It's very hard to keep the laws here because, you know, the, the time zones are different. You know, Shabbat yeah. falls at different times. Um, and so the problem is is that then we go back home and, you know, we wrap ourselves in the prayer shawl and we're blowing the shafar and the rest of it all. And we become very strange, weird people. And then yeah. the pastors go, well, if that's what's going to happen when people go to Israel, then I'm not interested. And so yeah. we try to, without throwing a, a total wet blanket over people, we say, look, it's like when you first get born again. You just get crazy. You go out and, <laughs> that's everybody, and you have zeal without understanding or without knowledge yeah. and so what we do because we've usually got people for about 14 days is i encourage them i said look get the pressure get the the little clay lamp and, and and get the masseuser and understand what does it mean to write the laws of god and to place it on the doorposts of your life but it's more than just the little um device attached to your door the promise of the new covenant or the renewed covenant is that God's writing them on the tablets of our heart. Yeah. And the thing that God gave me, and I think it becomes a bit infectious, is a is a absolute love for the Jewish people because the sad thing is, is that the majority of Jews don't believe in Jesus. The majority of Jews are actually secular. Yeah. Um, there's a, often a, a little joke that says, what's the second most spoken language in Israel? And it's Hebrew because the first spoken language is Russian because millions of Russians who were coming out of the former Soviet Union were atheists and they came into the land in their unbelief as yeah. the scripture prophesied that they would. And so for us uh, Christians to be running around and trying to tell Jews that they, you know, that they've missed the boat and they need to believe in Jesus, we have to be very careful. Yeah. And so Paul said that um, uh, that he had he was compelled to share the gospel with his fellow believers, and in one scripture he even sort of suggests he'd be willing to give up his own salvation if that his brothers would yeah. come in saving knowledge of it all. Um, and so it was through that I got involved with a uh, an organisation called Christians for Israel, and what we've understood is that the best way for us to be a witness to the Lord's people is to love them unconditionally and to encourage them, to provoke them to jealousy, to tell them, hey, you guys are a light to the nations. Look yep. at all the incredible inventions that God has given you that we all take for granted, like our, our mobile phones and USB sticks and medicine and so yep. many incredible things that uh, the nation of Israel has blessed the earth with. And so when we love them unconditionally and we raise funds to bring those that are still out in the diaspora home so that they can do what's called make Aliyah, to, to come home to their ancient homeland, yeah. are literally fulfilling prophecy where it says um, in Isaiah, I think 49, God says, I will beckon to the, to the Gentiles of the nations and they will bring my, they will bring you my people home. My daughters, I will carry them on my shoulders and on their hips. And then, you know, that's an incredible testimony that's yeah. happening even today. In the hills of Samaria are some of the best wine being grown uh, in the world, and they're winning gold medals. And yet Gentiles go there every year to help with the harvest, again, fulfilling ancient biblical yeah. prophecies. I'll tell you what, when that happens, the locals stand up, and they take notice, and then they start asking questions. Like, why? why are you doing this? Yeah, yeah. We find that with uh, with hosting Israeli travelers, uh, which we do. Um, we have a uh, part of our organization here. The other side is called Yesh, which is all about yeah. hosting Israeli travelers. And the number one question they ask is, why are you doing this? Because we let them stay. I mean, for Sharon and me, we go, you can come and stay uh, first two nights are free. Yeah. After that, maybe we'll charge you $5 a night. Maybe we won't. And they go, why are you doing this? But to, to go back to that provoking the jealousy thing, yeah. the, the Jews are not going to be provoked to jealousy if the Gentiles try to be Jews. Yeah. 
They're going to be provoked to jealousy if the Gentiles, as Gentiles, are being blessed by the Jewish God, the Jewish Messiah. And they go, hey, well, hang on, he's our God. Why is he blessing you? Yeah, well, like, uh, that, that was one of the prophecies, that, that uh, they would be a, a blessing to all the nations. And when all the nations would come to um, the, the tabernacle, to the, to the, to the, the temple... It was a, a, a house of prayer for all nations. Yeah, yeah. It was all. It was always. It was there in the Tanakh. A light for the Gentiles. This for the Gentiles. It was yeah. always there. They missed it. Yeah. yeah. And so, unfortunately, we've got two thousand years of very poor relations with the Jewish people because, again, I mean, even people that we revere, you know, like uh, Martin Luther, who uh, brought about. Uh, the revolution within the church, you know, the yeah, the Reformation, yeah, Reformation, and yet, sadly, out of his frustration and not being able to um, convert the Jews, the pendulum swung the other way, and then he wrote some horrible books like the Jews and their lies and, yeah. and things like that, where possibly even Adolf Hitler got some of his inspiration about how to treat the Jewish people. But I, think, I mean, that's the problem, though, Ian. Is it's it's. Uh, the Jews don't need converting. No. They're not it, without that, God. They just have a blind spot for yeah. Yeshua. It's, it's not that, you know, I mean, I, I know one of the things when you go to Israel, it's it's the fear that is the, is the border guard going to ask me, are you coming to convert our people? Well, yeah. if they'd asked me that, I go, no, there's no way I can. I'm, I'm the convert. Yeah. You know, I was a Gentile. I'm the convert to your religion. Yeah. yeah. No. Well, that's the thing. And, you know, I think, the gospel says that they will know that you are Christians by your love one for another. And I think that's the compelling thing. When we love people unconditionally, when we stand up with them, when it's politically incorrect to stand with them, we're not saying they're perfect. No one's perfect. There's only one that's perfect. Yep. Even Jewish said that when they called him um, a good master. He said, no one's good except Hashem in heaven. Um, so we're not... We're, you know, our, our eyes aren't so blinded that we just get this uh, unrealistic picture of Israel and the Jewish people. But we know that we have a lot to be thankful for. The Messiah is the King of the Jews. He is yeah. a Jewish Messiah. The, the scripture that we love. Paul said that they kept the oracles of God. It was an absolute miracle. When we go to Qumran, the place where in 19... 47, they discovered the, the, the Dead Sea Scrolls. Um, they then found that those ancient texts had hardly any changes into uh, any, yep. any of the text. Thousands and thousands of manuscripts. Uh, and so, again, we can have incredible confidence that the Word of God is unchanged. God protected it, and he did that through the Jewish people. He raised them up as a peculiar people. Uh, and so, yeah, I love it when we go there. I love it when we can sort of peel back the curtain and yeah. show them what's really going on. What's your, uh, what's your favourites? Um, uh, how would I phrase this? Your favourite scripture at the moment that's, just, I mean, not necessarily in the last 10 years, but right at the moment, we're talking January 2021, that, that for Ian Warby, that you go, oh, God, this is just amazing. Um, yeah, I've been, I've, I've been thinking that, you know, because we've just come out of an incredible year, that... Everything, it says in Hebrew, is that everything that can be shaken is being shaken. And so also I've just been starting to reread the story of the Exodus because this year, uh, God willing, and hopefully we're not going to get this COVID throw another uh, spin. Yep. We're going to start our tour in, in Egypt. And part of that is understanding why God uses wilderness experiences and so for many of us who have just come out of 2020, it's been a wilderness experience. Everything's being shut down. And, you know, it's often in the wilderness where God speaks to his people. The actual Hebrew word for um, wilderness means to speak. You know, when Moses was out on the backside of the desert, 
and God spoke to him. It was in the wilderness when Jesus yeah. was baptized and the Holy Spirit came down on him in the form of a dove. Immediately, the Spirit took him out into the Judean wilderness where there's not a blade of grass. And, and he was out there for 40 days. It's pretty uh, blank, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, I remember we when we drove down from uh, Galilee to Jerusalem and you come down to Jericho and then you turn and you go up to yeah. Jerusalem and it's about, uh, was it 14, 15 miles of rock? Yeah. And, Wilderness. And you can imagine, you know, with the, the hunger and the thirst that took place and those little round pebbles that you see there look for all the world like an old loaf of bread that... Yeah. Uh, that the women would make down there in Capernaum with the, the hand grinders and the rest of it all. And you can well imagine how Satan used that moment of weakness to say, look, you're the, uh, you're the son of God. You can turn these, these stones into bread. And yet Yeshua responded with the scripture, you know, that it is written that man shall not live by bread alone, but every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God, you know, and, so, yeah, I've just been reflecting about, God, why did you allow this, this time of wilderness, this shaking? And I really think it's, it's an opportunity for the church to wake up. I mean, you know, we're not insensitive to the fact there's a lot of discussion, there's a lot of head-scratching going on out there, you know. Some people might even start slipping into some conspiracy theories, wondering, is yeah. this the beginning of the end times that Yeshua spoke about where people's freedom would start to be shut down, where the church would be silenced, where people's movements are going to be tracked, uh, where you can't buy and sell without some certain mechanism to prevent you from doing that. There's a lot of people postulating it. And, and you know, all I say is that we, we as believers need to watch and pray and we need to hear um, what the voice of the spirit is saying to yep. us. But, sense it's a time that we need to start preparing ourselves and decluttering our lives and focusing on the things that are important and i think as i re reminisce and, and review many of the trips that we that we've been on and hopefully lord willing that we can return again that we can start to distill some of those new truths to prepare us uh, in case there is a time of trouble coming ahead, you know? And I yeah. think it's one thing to have all this knowledge and to have this experience and to be able to to share our, our photographs and uh, our newfound understanding with our friends. But if it doesn't allow us to come through the other side, still standing strong, still hanging on to God and his word, then... Yeah, it does yeah. pause for thought, you know? I, um, uh, for me, uh, I've been talking to people about uh, yeah, the, the greater your understanding and vision, excuse me, using your terminology, the vision of God or who God is, of what God is, the more likely you are to want to um, share him with others that don't know him. Yeah. Uh, we can get very, very insular on ourselves. We can get all caught up in the things that are happening in the world. But out in that wilderness, it's just you, the wilderness, and God. And so you can see God in a big, big way. Like Isaiah, when he saw the Lord high and lifted up, yeah. and then he recognized his own sin. Yeah. And he said, I'm a sinful man, and I'm living amongst sinful people. And then God goes, who am I going to send? He goes, you have to send me. Yeah. I've seen you. I see what you're like. And to me, part of that revelation of, um, I'm a bit jealous of you because my photos of Israel are all three years old now, almost <laughs> four years old. Uh, um, but when that opens up, you just want to share. You don't want to share Israel with people. You don't want to share Jewish people with people. You want to share the God of Israel with people. Yeah, it's so important so, for us to understand what the God of Israel says about the future of Israel and his people. Yeah. And what the God of Israel says about the future of his ecclesia, the called out ones, those ones that he's called uh, for such a time as this. And once we get those two things um, in balance and, and we have understanding, then we understand with renewed passion the great commission 
to go and to tell the good news that Jesus Christ came according to the scriptures, that he dies, he rose again, and that he's come again, and then to make disciples, to make people who understand what the word of God has to say, and to be like the men of Issachar who understood the times that they're living in and knew what they had to do. Before you went to Israel, again, let's go back 12 years, before you went to Israel with that UCB International Conference, and you'd been a Christian all your life, you'd been involved in Christian radio for, uh, by that time, 14, 15 years. How evangelistically minded were you before then? Well, I was. I was evangelistic because I, I understood the power of this thing called radio to reach people where they're at, you know, the farmers in their tractors, the shut-ins, um, young people listening in on their headsets and so on. So that was really, um, that drove me a lot. Yeah. Um, I thought that it was amazing that God could use technology to reach the common man on the street. Um, it didn't have to be in the setting of a church. I think now I tend not to think in terms of a formal traditional church. I I tend to think of myself more as being one of those living stones um, that God is raising up to be um, part of his universal body. And I think the fact that we we see God at work um, amongst the nations, not only in in Israel, but I've had the privilege to go to uh, to Turkey and to Greece and to Rome, and to see what the early disciples did, what what um, what the Apostle Paul did, and and how God's plan was to send that message out yeah. to the four corners of the of the earth, and then to sort of bring it home here, you know, like. We New Zealanders and and Aussies call ourselves, we're from the land down under. We're about as far away from Jerusalem as you can possibly get. Yeah. And so we have to ask ourselves the so what question. Okay, that's amazing. It's incredible. The history. Yeah, but so what? Yeah. Yeah. But so what? How do I put skin on it living here in Australia in these very uncertain times? But, I mean, to use our radio term that, we, that that you run by, the WHAM principle, why and how does this affect me? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And so if it, if it doesn't answer the so what question, it just becomes academic or ethereal or oh, that's nice and then people yep. compartmentalise it and we tend to live these compartmentalised lives rather than just being part of who we are. And it should just come out of our, our very being and out of our pores you know, just to want to imitate um, Jesus, you know. I mean, one of the things I learned was when we talk about making a disciple, the disciples who spent those three years with Jesus, they got to learn to walk like Jesus, dress like Jesus, talk like him. You know, they imitated him in every way. I mean, the uh, the Apostle Paul said, you know, uh, to be an imitator of Christ. Yeah. I mean, he's key key uh, uh, keys to success was to imitate him whose faith works yeah yeah it's i mean the problem is the problem is the word disciple because what we should have in our english language is the word apprentice yeah because when we think disciple we think you know take notes yeah student but it really should be apprentice okay you've seen me do this now you do it exactly yeah yeah yeah. But the thing is, we have we have to do it as ourselves. I mean, as, as Australians, as New Zealanders, as Gentiles. Um, I pastored a, an Assemblies of God church for ten years, and we were we were on this journey of of what is it like for twenty first century Gentiles in New Zealand to worship the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And when we came back from Israel, uh, I said that we'd been singing songs because I'm a worship leader as well. I love doing that. But we'd been singing songs in Hebrew. You know, or just a few. And I came back from Israel and I said, you know, what? The, the, the main thing that I learned in Israel, we don't have to sing songs in Hebrew yet. <laughs> We're going to keep singing them because it's fun. Yeah. But let's sing, let's sing them in English, in the language that we know and love, yeah. and sing praises to our God yeah. as Gentiles. Absolutely. But with a, a, with a renewed understanding. Yeah. A greater depth and meaning. I think the other thing that kind of occurred to me as I started to understand a little bit more about the culture. And uh, one of the tours that we did was actually called Walking in the Dust of Our Rabbi. 
And so wherever we would stop, we'd try to unpack this idea. And when we went up to um, uh, to, to, to Kersey and to uh, Capernaum and to Corazon and some of the ruins around the, the Galilee Basin, yep. we, we learned that what would happen is that Yeshua went and he chose his disciples. They didn't choose him. You know? Yeah. And yet God chose them knowing their faults. He didn't choose the brightest in the in the class. <laughs> <laughs> you know? That's it. Just as well for us. Exactly. And so, yep. you know, because Jesus knew that um, he, you know, what a difference the word will make in our lives. Um, and when we're, we're brought into that incredible light of understanding who he is. Yeah. Uh, you're forever changed. Hey, Ian, this has been great catching up. I mean, it's good chatting with you again because I don't think we actually talked for this long in a row, even when I was working for uh, for Rima back in the old days. But uh, what's what's next for UCB uh, Asia Pacific, um, particularly with this whole lockdown lack of travelling that's going on at the moment? Well, as far as we know, we're being told that um, travel should resume now around March. Um our government has just put the vaccines on hold for a little while because there was a bit of a, a concern um, about some of the vaccines. Some people were having some uh, b- bad reactions. I'm really yeah. hoping that they're not going to make vaccination mandatory, um, but I'm wanting to get back out to the islands. Uh, we're hoping to bring Fiji online uh, this year. We've got a, a lovely guy um, uh, based in uh, Suva. And we've got plans to switch on uh, two Life FM stations, one in Suva, which is on the eastern side of the mainland, and the other one's over in um, uh, Nandi. Yep. Uh, we're also looking at a little small island nation called Nauru, about 10,000 people, famous for its super phosphate. Yep. Um, and so we've met up with a, a Kiwi, uh, from Christchurch, who's married a local, and uh, he's a builder, and uh, he loves uh, the, the daily devotional, the word for today, and so we connected uh, with him, and we're hoping to be able to uh, switch on Christian radio for the island uh, nation of Nauru uh, this uh, this coming year. Excellent. Uh, so we've got plans of expanding our networks in uh, Timor-Leste, in Indonesia, uh, up in uh, Nepal, uh, Philippines. Yeah, uh, we're also in about uh, half a dozen locations across uh, Papua New Guinea. Um, we've got plans to switch on a high-powered FM service in Port Moresby, which is the capital. Uh, so yeah, yep, you're all over the place. What, what's the best website for people to find out more about what's happening? Uh, UCB um, Asia Pacific UCB Asia Pacific or one word dot org. Correct. All right, Ian, it's been great catching up um, next year in Jerusalem. Next year. Well, hopefully this year in Jerusalem as well. Hopefully this year in Jerusalem. God bless you. God bless. Thank you so much. Bye.